This is Unlearned, a self-rising production. I'm Jamie. And I'm CA. And we are your hosts. This is a podcast all about deconstructing who we are and exploring who we are becoming. (laughs) Hi. We're here. Hi. All right. So do we have any like chit chat going on? Like you want to see something adorable? Look at these cutie little thingies I got. You got to explain. Okay. All right. (laughs) Use your imagination, folks. No. Um, Okay. So these are – one is an owl and one is an elephant, which are like two of my favorite animals. And – Are those like quartz? They're made from quartz. Uh, I don't know. Actually, this one looks like it's made from agate and this one looks like it's made from – Anyway, um, but we should we should do a PO box yes. because like CA has like little like we have like mini obsessions and we yes. can share it with you guys. Like, These are brought back to me from the- my husband's trip to Utah, and he went on a little whitewater rafting trip, Aww. and so now they like live here right by my computer, um, and they're really nice because this one, especially the owl, is like really satisfying to rub my thumb on its like eye, which. Sorry, I wouldn't do that to a real owl, but like, I don't know. They're like little like worry stones slash fidgets. I just love them. I I think there's something to be said about a really good fidget. We don't really talk <laughs> about like how neurodivergent we are. We probably should do an entire episode on that. But like, yes. If you watch this, you're going to see how much we move. Like we're all fidgeting and like right now I'm like <laughs> rubbing my arm and like I fidget with my hands all the time. So. Yeah. Man. If we ever did a live show, they'd be like, are they okay? Like, why aren't they? Oh, my gosh. Jamie, how many times in your life has somebody said the phrase to you, what are you on? Like, that's the, that's like a theme phrase from my life since I was like a kid, middle school, high school. Like, that's like, and I'd be like, this is just who I am. Like, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> It's funny because I think I was so little that I didn't know what they were even talking I know. about. I'm like, on what? I'm on a slide. Like, what? I'm like. Seriously. Seriously. Like, some older kids, like, what are you on? I'm like, the playground. <laughs> the swing set? Um, what do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Anyways. Okay. So, what are we chatting about? Well, yeah. So, we, we are talking about, like, a really great topic today, emotional consent, um, what that means, what that looks like, how to give it, how to revoke it, et cetera, et cetera. Right. It's a lot, it's a lot to explore those- and unpack. Yeah, I mean, we have spoken to this a few times um, in previous episodes, but it is such an important part. It's actually, I mean, if you think about why we started this podcast with consent, and that was almost like an internal Mm -hmm. consent, right? Obviously, we also have the external consent. It's just so important (laughs) to understand how to be a safe individual to either receive information or give information or request information, right? As someone who's doing self-exploration work, as many of our listeners are doing, we do want to have deep conversations. We do want to have conversations where we do explore maybe some like deeper themes Mm -hmm. or different 
aspects of our emotions that are maybe a little bit vulnerable or sensitive, right? And so especially especially when we explore those things, if we have lost sight that we're interacting with an entire other system, an entire other energy component is right in front of us that has their own trauma and has their own processing and has their own possible neurodivergencies or whatever is going on. We do need to pay attention to that. And so we're going to speak to kind of like what it means to be emotionally kind of assaulted, like not actually honored consent within yourself. But also we're going to be speaking to like how various aspects of interpersonal dynamics have this aspect that is typically overlooked. Mm -hmm. It's actually one of the things that we didn't have a lot of phrasing for. Like I made it through my entire graduate program without ever hearing the word emotional consent, which I find profoundly erroneous. Like I'm like, that is, that is like something is wrong there that like we went through the entire program and nobody spoke to the dynamic of emotional consent. Mm -hmm. Right. I think maybe they were speaking the theme, but it wasn't, conceptualized through that word, right? And so Right. It didn't have like actual structured language. Sure. And I and you know we're firm believers of like through language is power. And so mm-hmm. that's why I am very particular on the words I use, especially like instead of calling someone an alcoholic, you'll typically hear me say like substance someone with use. substance use disorder and it happens to be alcoholism or something mm-hmm. or whatever. It's not like we're trying to use language that like is centric to the person that's enduring it, right? Mm -hmm. And so language is powerful. It is really powerful. And then we have aspects of our interpersonal dynamics that sometimes don't have definitive language. Right. And I I get that all the time. People will be like, why do you have to define that? And I'm like, because if you can understand it, and define it through language or through the context of the language, you can create more concrete strategies or recognition. Mm -hmm. Let's say it like that recognition of what you're experiencing in that moment. Okay. So this can go with anything, but emotional consent, it's like, you're going to hear this happening I mean, I'm sure many of you have endured this, if not all of us have endured this, right? Where it's, it's this feeling of like, yeah, like what is emotional consent? What does it feel like to not have emotional consent like respected, right? Mm -hmm. And so we we're going to give some scenarios. Like, do you want to come up with an example, CA, and we kind of go through it? Yeah. Yeah. Let's start with when an example of emotional consent not being given or even asked for or whatever, what that looks like, how that plays out in some common ways that people have probably experienced. Um, so, I mean, one, one example just would be you are hanging out with somebody you're in an interpersonal relationship. Let's call it your parents. Okay. And 
you you have this like in your mind this understanding of like what it is that we're doing we're going out to lunch together or we're you know driving to the airport together or we're whatever right like we're we're going to the beach and like that's what you signed up for and then all of a sudden you're kind of like feeling cornered and the word that we're going to use is ambushed because it's all of a sudden like these these people are like okay now that we're all here blank and blank and blank and then they just begin like forcing things at you and kind of forcing you to emote back at them and you had no idea that this was coming you had this was not in your brain what you signed up for this day and you're feeling very trapped and cornered mm. all of a sudden I, I especially with things like in a car or like at a meal out in public like where there it's just like you feel like you literally don't have power to escape this conversation and you're being bombarded with their thoughts and opinions and their their disapprovals of this that or the other thing and like you just didn't have time to even think or prepare for it. And you're feeling, and that's a very violating feeling because you're like, you guys planned this? Like you plan to like under the auspices of like kindness and together time, you decided you were going to literally like blindside me with something that you wanted to talk about and give me no concept whatsoever ahead of time. I think that's just something most of us have experienced probably right, in one way or another. Right. right. The car ambush is like probably the epitome. I, I mean, I absolutely, I think you're right with meals too, because think about when you're out, it's not like you're sitting at the dinner table in like, you know, someone's house. Like if you're out, if you're like, I don't know, 10 minutes into ordering dinner and like the food's getting weighted and then someone's like, yes. so, um, can you please explain to me why, um, you didn't tell me you broke up with your girlfriend? It's like, what? Like, you know, it's like, and, and by the way, like to some degree that we are going to break down some of the nuance because is it, is it fair to pay, to possibly have like some of these dialogues where, you know, emotions come up. Sure. They can ask this. Like some of the things that me and CA reviewed before the mm -hmm. episode is they can ask you. Mm -hmm. Sure. Like, I mean, I can look at you and be like, CA, why didn't you tell me you and your, you know, theoretical mm -hmm. boyfriend broke up? <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. Like it's like, and I can ask you that. It's that. Why would that feel violating? Because, well, first of all, you didn't have any preparation for that question. Mm -hmm. You also, like what CA just outlined, you didn't mentally even conceptualize that to be what you were going to experience. So you were like, I'm just going to eat food and we're going to just talk and whatever. And I had no idea that I was going to be asked something like very deep and meaningful, right? And then we also have like the possible strategy that the person's taking. So if they're demanding yes. an answer... This is where that like very visceral violation feeling comes in, where if I look at you and it's like, it's one thing to be like, I thought about it and I was like, I haven't, I haven't seen, I haven't seen Gary around in a while. Like, what's up with that? You know? Okay. Well, it's kind of giving you a little leeway to be like, mm -hmm. you know, we're just chilling. You know, there's some leeway in that conversation versus me being like, I know you broke up. 
I heard it from so-and-so. So what do you have to say for yourself? Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, and we're not sitting right. here trying to shut down the natural flow of conversation yeah. and saying that like the only correct way to converse with people is ahead of time to send them a list of topics that you're going to talk about. Like that's, that's not what we're saying. Like people are people. And yes, we know that like curiosities happen and you might ask a question sure. or tell a story and like uh, that's not what we're talking about we're talking about this this very like demanding commanding expectation that you have mm. to participate in this conversation in in a intimate way that you are not wanting to or prepared to that's what it means right. to bypass somebody's emotional consent it's it's much more like a sort of forced intimate sharing or receiving of the other person's emotions that like you really were feeling blindsided by and feeling like you don't have a choice to to navigate or to escape. I I think you just touched on a really good highlighted aspect of like harmful dynamics or emotionally mature people that like haven't actually analyzed their own personal boundaries in relationships. So what I mean by that is like for example and people can people can at me about this, but like even in partnerships, you are allowed to have your own processing. You are allowed to have space to process. You are allowed to be an autonomous person. You are allowed to have some individuality. Okay, so that's hard. And this is why I'm saying you can at me about this because people are like, oh, but you're keeping a secret. Like if you if your partner came to you and was like, what was that about? Like explain yourself, right? And you maybe were not emotionally prepared. You are allowed to have some kind of boundary of your own processing, okay? And this is where I'm telling you, like, the very harmful people will typically tell on themselves because they won't be able. And I and that's why I don't want to throw under, under the bus. It might be emotionally unskilled. It might be emotionally mature. It might be traumatized brains that do this to you. It could be actually manipulative and harmful people that do mm-hmm, this to you. Mm-hmm. But what I mean by this is that demand is kind of someone telling on themselves saying, you owe me like part of you. Mm-hmm. Think about that for a second. Right. And this is a this is something I've actually personally experienced, like actually not not so far, like pretty in the recent recent past. Is that a thing? Uh, yeah, um, yeah, sure. Um, where someone like approaching you and basically saying, well, I'm so and so I'm the sister. I'm the best friend. I'm the partner. I'm the parent, whatever. And you you keeping this from me is like is not acceptable, Mm -hmm. right? And that's where I'm bypassing your own autonomy at that point because you're the only one that gets to tell me what level I am able to access. Mm -hmm. Think about that for a second. Mm -hmm. You are the only one that actually is allowed to open the gates at deeper levels of who you are, okay? So if you have a parent that says, No, you owe me an explanation about why you guys broke up and why you did this. And you're going to sit there and just act like nothing's wrong. And that's why I actually brought you to lunch is because you just kept that as a secret. See, you Mm -hmm. lied to me, Mm -hmm. right? And this, oh my gosh. And you keep avoiding this. So so I had to do it this way because you won't be honest with me. So yeah, oh man. 
<laughs> it's so clear. I know it's so clearly like someone's telling you, you owe me access to a deep part of you, whether or not I earned that access. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a lot of and dynamics. They're like right. parent to adult child is like a super classic dynamic of this that like a lot of parents like genuinely feel completely entitled to all sorts of intimacy with their adult children that they don't they haven't earned and they don't think they have to like that's it's not even a it's not even like a they if you try to have this conversation with this type of a parent they wouldn't even try to give a list of why they feel they have earned it, they would literally just say, I don't have to earn it. I am owed it. I deserve it. That's the way it is. Like you just should be telling me things. You should be close to me. You should trust me. But they won't actually be like, here's what I've done to earn your trust. It's just that like, because I'm your parent, I literally just deserve it. And it's like, mm, right. <laughs> that's definitely one. I do also think that there's like, there's a lot of unfortunate kind of like examples in like media and like pop modern culture mm. that perpetuate a sort of toxic enmeshment of partnerships as well. That like that uh, there's, there's unfortunately a lot of messaging out there that sort of promotes a lack of like boundaries in partnerships and that like Mm. and they and it's not even necessarily like coming like I think when I see some of this messaging I'm like see I see what they're trying to do here but I think like when you receive a lot of like subtle messaging over time about like oh the we have the best relationship we don't hide anything we know everything about Mm. each other like maybe in that particular dynamic like I don't know, like maybe it is consensual and maybe, maybe they do have great emotional connection and communication and there are boundaries. They're just not talking about it in this particular interview or whatever. But like what the messaging comes across as is that really good relationships don't have any clear lines whatsoever between the individuals. Like they're just, they share everything. They do everything together. They know everything about each other. And it's like, I'm not sick. So this is what I really, this is the nuance. I'm not sitting here saying like that if a, if a relationship has like a deep level of shared intimacy, like that is ipso facto unhealthy. I'm not sitting here armchair diagnosing and saying that if your relationship's like this, it's a bad relationship. What I'm saying is there's an expectation to do that. And mm-hmm. sometimes it happens too early on in relationships before like real deep foundations of trust have even been built. And it's almost as though giving away like huge amounts of emotional intimacy early on like is the vehicle to trust do you see where i'm going with this versus building a foundation of trust first and then moving into layers of intimacy from there right right it's like what like what came first did the trust come first or did the like trauma like dumping come first. <laughs> See, and that's what I'm saying is like, I do feel like there pro- maybe there are relationships out there that like built like super deep, healthy trust over years and years. And then they like did over time build this connection where like they truly like have so much emotional intimacy. Beautiful. Love it. Here for it. 
But what I'm concerned with is sometimes I see this sort of like messaging and trending about the reverse situation that like the road Mm -hmm. to deep trust comes through huge amounts of emotional intimacy early on too much, too soon, too fast, right? Like just like tons, like, and that's how you get trust. Mm. Right. But I think it circles back to where that that would build someone's confidence that they are owed that information. Yes. Right? Like, so if they're sitting there and like, they, so I, I know it's a little t- difficult with partnerships because that can get very intricate, especially with like children and all these things. But like, if we go back to the parent example, like, it's like, if you look at why you would think something's owed to you right? It's like, Mm -hmm. where does that come from? Mm -hmm. Why would someone think that they are owed emotional intimacy? And if someone is hesitant, then they must be hiding something Mm. or there's something wrong, right? When in reality, it's, it could speak to so many different things. And I know you're going to go into this in a little bit, CA, but it can speak to so many different reasons why if I've requested from my best friend, I need to have a very deep emotional conversation that might bring up some hard points for us to process through. There is many reasons why CA could validly say, hey, I'm going to need at least a day or maybe a few to kind of sit with the points that you just talked about briefly. Mm -hmm. And so I can give you the best answer. There's so many reasons. Many people who come from very harmful, toxic cycles and toxic generational trauma, they will see that as, if they don't immediately dump an answer in front of my feet, they are hiding something. Yes. Which mm-hmm. that is not a healthy perception right there. Okay. Right. Sure. For my folks, because, you know, my specialty is like post-healing toxic systems and narcissism and all stuff. Okay. For my folks that have been in very, very damaging relationships, sure, your trauma brain absolutely might have been trained to think if someone is not like immediately answering. I need to question if they're being deceptive. Okay. And this is why, can you see how many complications come, come up because our past relationships inform our current ones. Mm -hmm. So when we had a very, very harmful relationship and someone says, Hey, I don't, I, I don't know. I'm not sure I'm able to answer that right now. And your brain thinks, well, it's because is because they're hiding something or right. it's because something's wrong. They need time to come up with an alibi. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Or they're trying to manipulate mm-hmm. me by doing that. Mm-hmm. Right. I hear this a lot and CA, you're going to relate to this, but it's that, it's that, um, oh, well, you're just trying to avoid. <laughs> it's like, this is where your own autonomy, and I'm going to kind of let CA take the wheel for a second, but like, this is where your own autonomy is so important and your own self-trust Because if someone looks at you and says, you're just avoiding, if you're not convicted that you know you absolutely have a right to time and processing and emotional navigation of that situation, if you don't think you have a right to that, sure, you could be convinced you're avoiding. You could be like, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm avoiding, I guess. Sure, sure, sure. Call me avoidant, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, wait, wait a second. Your own ability to attune to why you would need time Mm -hmm. is so important. So I want you to kind of take the wheel here, CA, because I do want you to speak to some of the neurodivergency here, Mm -hmm. but also like 
why it's so important for us to not self-gaslight in this mm-hmm. moment, to not just take somebody else's misperception of what's going on and say, oh, well, you are just super avoidant. You, ju- you just don't care. And this is this is exactly why you're not responding. Exactly. Right. And so that personal conviction is so important. Right. So this is this is like your your education. This is your Miranda rights, people like you have a right to process things ahead of time prior to, you know, conversations or even in response to a conversation that has begun and you're hit with something you didn't have time to process for. You're allowed to ask for time. You're allowed to take your time. You're allowed to circle back. You're allowed all of these things. Okay. You have a right to all of this. And I think it is important to, it's this literally, that's why I call them Miranda rights. Like you need to know what your rights are so you can actually advocate for them because otherwise Mm. you get bullied into a situation, right? Where like, if you didn't know you had the right to remain silent and you start running your mouth and you don't know what you're actually saying, and then you get held to the fire for something that you said that you didn't think through, you didn't actually mean it, you didn't really even know what it was that you were saying. And all of a sudden, like, you know, this is getting submitted as evidence in the court <laughs> that you're guilty. And you were like, well, I didn't like, mm. that's not what I meant, you know? Um so this is what I said, right. and this is when we started talking about this um, as, our, as our topic for today. The very first place my brain went was neurodivergent people, especially if you're on the spectrum, I feel that emotional consent and like pre, like giving somebody a heads up on a particular topic is necessary. Like it's literally like a need for neurodivergent especially people on the Mm. spectrum, folks, because it's well known that a lot of neurodivergent people struggle with alexithymia, which means like a difficulty in Mm. feeling and identifying their thoughts and feelings about something, and they need time to process. And so if you know that you need to have this like conversation about a topic with somebody and you know they're neurodivergent, like you, you have to give them a heads up because otherwise they are going to be blindsided and one of two things is going to happen. The first is kind of what I was describing a minute ago where like if they didn't have time to prepare and you're kind of like expecting them to say something, like they they don't even know what's going to come out of their mouth. They're going to say something and it might not be what they actually feel. It might not be what they actually think. They have no right. clue what's going on and it's way too much information and data for their brain to sort through. And so they're just like going to say something random and it could either be hurtful or undermining or just totally not actually like accurate. And so that's not going to actually help the conversation navigate in a successful way. The other option that's going to happen is if they don't know what to say because they didn't have time to process and they at least know to advocate for themselves to not say something they don't mean, the only other option is that they're going to say nothing and they're going to be like, I I don't know. I genuinely don't know what I think. Mm -hmm. I don't know what I feel. I don't know what to say right now. And I, as a neurodivergent person, I cannot tell you how many times I've been in a conversation that I did not have understanding ahead of time what topics were going to come up. And so then all of a sudden I'm in the middle of it. And this is, that's usually the method that I take is to be like, I have no idea. I don't know how I feel about this. I don't know what I think about this. I genuinely don't know what to say right now. And then the other person in that conversation can feel like, as you said, that I'm being avoidant. Like, seriously, right. you have nothing to say about this topic. Like, this is extremely important to me. And you refusing to contribute 
makes me feel as though you don't care about me or this conversation or this topic or this part of our relationship, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, I think that that's really, I think this is why like education on both sides and no matter which role you are in this conversation really, really matters because yes, I mean like getting, gaining advocacy skills around this is really important to be able to like, when I learned certain phrases to be able to say, I need time to think about this. And I would like to check back in with you in, and give a certain amount of time, whatever, give a ballpark amount of time that you think you might need to process, whatever that is. If it's a huge amount of processing, maybe a week. If it's like something you're just kind of confused about, maybe a day, you know, like you say, I really need a little bit more time to think about this. And I am going to circle back with you at such and such a time. And then circle back at that time, you know, hold yourself accountable and let that person hold you accountable. If for some reason you forgot because you're neurodivergent and they bring it up and they're like, Hey, can we circle back to that thing? You know, and that's okay. Even if you still haven't figured it out, you can say, okay, here's what my thoughts are so far. I kind of am thinking this, I, I might be feeling this. Can I have another day to think, you know, like there's ways to navigate these conversations that show that you're not being avoidant, right? Like don't let somebody else's labels and stories come, you know, like, don't put that on yourself if that's not your truth. Like, if you're not being avoidant, if you're like genuinely trying to understand this topic, and you just haven't navigated it yet, like, there's ways to have this ongoing conversation where both people are feeling heard, and both people's needs are being met, even if it's happening on a timeline that's, you know, maybe it takes a little bit longer to get through that. But I don't want people to see that as a bad thing. Like, my gosh, I can't believe it took us a week to get to this answer. No, it's great that it took a week to get to this answer because that means it was actually well thought out and we can actually Mm. trust the things that were said. Because otherwise, if you push it and you force somebody to say things, they might have said something that they didn't actually mean or feel. And then it's so much more difficult to like go back in because now like this new idea or answer is now in that other person's head. Okay. So they, they just, Mm -hmm. uh, they blah, blah, you know, whatever, like they didn't come to my party because they were tired, you know, (laughs) like, I I don't know. I'm like trying to come up with an example on the fly. Cause that's, you just were forced to say something. So you were like, I don't know. I I'm sorry. I didn't go to your birthday party. Like I know it was important to you, but I was tired that day. Right. And then they're like, geez, like, I'm not important enough that like some tiredness Mm. is enough for you to just not come to my party. But like if you had given yourself actual time to navigate it and you realize that you've been in burnout for a really long time and Mm. you had found out that there was going to be a person at that party that you really are uncomfortable around and you have not figured out how to advocate for yourself around that person. And that was like the really underlying reason why like your body like stopped you from going. And like this person now is sitting here believing like, oh my gosh, like this person's like their tiredness is more important than me. So then you come back to them and you're like, hey, I know I said that thing about being tired. I didn't really mean it. This is what was really going on. It's actually harder for their brain to like readjust and apply a different story after they've already applied another story. I know I'm really, really like elaborating here, guys, and like going so deep into this, but I think this is like, this is why it's important. I really want to get into that nuance with you guys because I think there's this, I don't want there to be this concept that like, if something takes a long time to come to resolution about that, there's something bad about that. 
I don't think there is. I think that can be a real asset to the relationship because it actually allows people to navigate it in a way that's genuinely, authentically in alignment with their truth. And we're not doing as much like damage control after saying things that we didn't really mean. Right. I think you did a good job about the concept where if you don't ask emotional consent, this can spiral into a very big, very big issue, like a very big problem or a very big misconception or misunderstanding of the interpersonal dynamic, right? And so if you think about why would this be so important, like, right, it's not just neurodivergency because that the example that CA gave can absolutely happen in people that don't have you know, any of the neurodivergencies, but it's like, think about, think about what we're actually aiming for. We're trying to say the reason why this is so important is because when someone does get this space, mm-hmm. like think about it, instead of demanding, if I genuinely go to CA and I say, CA, you know, hard topic, you know, we're really struggling with this. Um, I know that we've been kind of dealing with this in our friendship for a while. So like, just want to give you the heads up. Are you okay to talk about this this weekend when we go to our like our camping trip or something? And you get the mental preparedness. Like that's what that is. You're literally like honoring the way their brain processes information. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that is safety. That is emotional safety. That's providing mm-hmm. safety for that dynamic because what you're doing is you're honoring the way they process. You're trusting Think about how layered this is. This is very high-skilled things, okay? You're honoring that they process things differently. You're trusting them to actually engage or to actually process in some way to, like, do the work that they need to do or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the the thing that I actually cir- circled back to, which is we don't get to tell people to process like we do. Mm. Think about that. So if I am an immediate processor, I'm a verbal processor, right. okay? And I'm in an argument or something or whatever, and I'm like, no, you don't get to sit there and just say you're not ready. You don't get to do that. Like, I've been ready about this argument forever. I've been thinking about this for literally the last four weeks. Like, you don't get to just sit there and and just not say anything. Okay, mm-hmm. so what I'm actually saying is I was doing work. I did do the preparation work because it was my brain. Of course, I gave myself permission to process this because this was a process in my own brain, okay? Mm -hmm. But what I'm saying in that moment is I'm asking that person to basically process the same way I did with the same level of preparation that I did, but that's not making sense because maybe this is the first time they heard it. Mm -hmm. So they didn't have four weeks doing with this information. And not only that, but when they say they need time, genuinely you you telling them no that doesn't make sense you need to process the way i do which is out loud and in the moment and verbally and and here and now right um i'm basically saying you need to be me you need to process like me okay and that's something we don't get to do mm-hmm. we don't get to do that right it is frustrating okay so let me validate for a second it is frustrating for that person because they're sitting there and they're like, I finally got the guts to finally talk to you about something that was really bothering me, whether it's my relationship or me and the parent or whatever. And I finally got the guts to do it. And you're going to sit there and say, you're not ready. Mm -hmm. Okay. But if we step back, 
Well, hopefully you're understanding a little bit about who that person is. And this is where you developing the skill set to actually speak what's going on, whether or not they believe you, whether or not the other person believes you, for you to, with conviction, say, listen, I've, I've touched on my neurodivergency before. I've explained to you I process things a little bit differently. One of the aspects of my experience with neurodivergency is that I do actually take a little bit more time to process emotional information. Mm-hmm. All right. So when you're coming at me, validly, I hear your fears. I hear your anger. I hear the pain of something that went wrong in our relationship. And it's equally valid for me to take time to process this on my end. Mm-hmm. That's a skill set, though. Mm-hmm. We don't wake up and have the ability to be like, how do I get to right. that point of like mm-hmm. emotional navigation, right? And it's like, it is through your own self-exploration, mm-hmm. you becoming attuned to how you emotionally relate to other people. And we can't negate the fact that sometimes it has to do with security. If you're talking to someone that's genuinely in, incapable of validating like they don't even think neurodivergency exists like think about that and i and it's true i mean like and i i would hope that you wouldn't continue to force yourself to be in a partnership or an intimate relationship with somebody that is genuinely like gaslighting you and refusing to acknowledge something like mental illness or neurodivergency but there's other examples like sometimes like even our parents don't believe in mental illness or believe in ADHD or whatever. Right. And so like in those situations, well, you can't like pick a new set of parents. So in those types of situations, this is like something that I work on with some of my coaching clients is actually just giving people like alternate language because maybe they don't accept the fact that you are autistic and you need extra time to process data. They might have heard the phrase and understand something about being an internal processor. And maybe that's the language you use instead, right? Maybe you just say, you know, you know that I'm an internal processor and you know that I can't like think on the fly while I'm talking. So I'm going to need to, there's multiple different ways to like advocate for yourself and, and find language that's excessively understandable to the people in the situation. Um, but it ultimately boils down to you having a set of language and skills and and understanding your rights, right? And understanding how to advocate for what you need. Um, And so this is another thing that I kind of almost wanted to pivot into is the concept of with emotional consent, as with any other type of consent, ongoing consent throughout the process of this emotional exchange that you're having with this other person. So say everything was done perfectly correctly up to the leading up to the conversation, right? Like I did get a heads up that we were going to talk about a certain topic. I was able to navigate my emotions and think it through and come feeling prepared. And then we get in the middle of the conversation and we're talking, we're exchanging and feelings are coming out and thoughts are coming out. In the process of that experience, even then allowed to take a pause if things start to go in a direction that, you know, it starts to kind of like transition into maybe a, an adjacent topic that you didn't fully process yet, or the topic itself is just so deep that like 
think of like going out into the ocean, right? Like you're wading in and you're wading in and you're going and you're going and you're to the point where like you've prepared and you can swim and tread water at this depth and this is okay for you because this is what you prepared for. But then all of a sudden, like the current's trying to take you even further and further into deeper waters that you weren't prepared for. At that point, you are allowed even then to to pause and say, okay, I'm really glad we were able to kind of process through some of this. I think we're getting to a place where I need a break, where I'm not quite ready to go into that next like depth with you yet um, or with myself even. Like I just, I don't feel prepared to keep going there and I, I need a break. I'm exhausted emotionally or whatever it is, you know, whatever set of reasons it is that you're feeling like, okay, we've we've discussed, we've processed to the best that we can. I think we're not going to make really solid progress from here unless we get a little bit more time to like pause whether that's like we need to de-escalate or I just need to process more or whatever it is. Like that's something I really wanted to, when we're talking about your rights, <laughs> you have a right to have preparation and you also have a right to pause even in the midst of something that you did give consent to. Hey everyone, this is Jamie. I am so excited to share this with you. We are going on a trip that I have dreamed about for years. It's called the Immersion Experience. It's a trip I designed for you to journey into the deepest parts of yourself. It's a journey toward authenticity where we're going to create safe places for community, safe places for sharing. I'm going to be offering a workshop. You're going to be going on excursions. We're going to be experiencing Costa Rica together and hopefully taking back with us unforgettable memories. If you are interested in going on the trip, all you have to do is click the show notes link and the tickets are live today. Hope to see you there. Right. I mean, think about like what it feels like when someone just ignores your self-advocacy or ignores your firm like belief. You're like, yeah, I'm, I am not ready to go that direction. Right. And if someone says, well, that doesn't work for me and I'm just going to, I'm going to go that direction. And like, you're expected to follow it's, I mean, it's almost like I have to keep reminding when we're learning self-advocacy skills that you're, you are autonomous. Even if someone's working really, really, really hard to break that autonomy, and, and we're talking the emotional av avenue right now, but if someone's really trying to, and, and you got to remember, like when we work for, when we're working with harmful people, they might purposefully Try to wear you down. Like, yeah. think about mm -hmm. this, okay? So if you're, no, and I don't even, I mean, yes, wear you down. But I mean, what, where I was going with that is I'm not seeing you emotionally respond to me. So I'm going to go and fall back to things that have provoked your emotion. So I say something like, well, see, I, you know, if you're really not going to react, like, I mean, or if you're not really going to respond to me, like, you might as well talk to me about, like, you know, why you chose to, you know, like homeschool your children or something that's sensitive that you're like, why do I have to defend that? Like, why are you right? Or something that like could possibly provoke 
anger in you because I'm not seeing the response I want. So I'm going to go a different avenue. Or, I mean, in parent-child dynamics, this is where you're going to see the whole like, um, like, oh, so you can just be on the phone with your friend for three hours, but you can't give me the decency of like five minutes. Like, um, and then they'll just throw you under the bus, say something like, you know, you're extremely fake. Right. They're just going to, mm. they're going to go very shallow. Like you're so fake. You don't really, you don't really, you know, actually ever show up. You talk about authenticity, but like, mm. this is your opportunity mm-hmm. to do it and you're not going to. Yeah. Right. It's like, they're poking the bear. They're literally trying to say like it. And so let's go with the physical stuff for a second. Okay. Let's go with the physical consent. If someone's like, oh, so you're going to act all sexual on social media. You wear those dresses and you you do those dances and whatever. And now we have the opportunity to be together intimately and you're going to sit there and say no. No, right. he, they don't get to say that. They don't get to say You in every sense of the word have no reason. There is no reason for you to justify why you would say, mm-hmm. I have reached mm-hmm. the limit here, right? I've reached the limit. And you can come up with any external excuse. You can be like, oh, so you're open. I saw you. I saw you emotionally dump on Facebook. I saw you go on that rant on your stories and Instagram. So you're you're able to emotionally connect there. But you can't do that when I ask you to give me two minutes of your time, Right. So do you see what they're doing? They're weaponizing your emotional vulnerability on your terms. Keep in mind, if I'm going to emotionally rant on something, I -hmm. gave myself consent to do that. I did that because I willfully entered into that dialogue. Okay. So that's that whole like being very weary of people that try to create false all or nothing. Mm -hmm. Like, see, you did this and like, because you're not doing it in the exact way I'm perceiving you have done that, like you aren't actually authentic or you really don't care about emotional processing because I'm giving you the opportunity to. See, I really love that you called it like this creation of a false all or nothing because that's exactly, exactly what it's going to feel like. And especially like if, if we're, we can even get, this is what you have to know your rights people. Even if in this situation, the person on the other receiving end, like you have actually given them deep emotional consent before to something Mm -hmm. very intimate, literally even the same topic, right? And they're like, I don't understand why you can't talk to me about this today. We've talked about this before. You've opened up to me about this before. Like, what what is the deal? Like, why can't you just be open with me today the way that you have been in the past? And I think even in that situation, you need to understand that you still have a right to advocate for yourself. Maybe it's not even about this person. Maybe you're just really emotionally exhausted that day for completely other reasons. Like you just, all your reserves have been drained and you just literally cannot muster up the energy to have a conversation about a topic. Even if you've explored that topic with this exact person in the past, this is why like think of it in terms of physical consent. Like, I feel like it's easier to conceptualize because we can be like, well, yeah, I mean, like, even if you are like in a relationship with somebody and you've gone to that place with them before, that doesn't mean you have to every single time Mm. somebody makes a bid for it. Like you might just circumstantially not be able to that day. And so I think it's, 
sometimes we don't realize that with emotional stuff that like that this actually giving emotional intimacy is a really like it's an energy consuming activity. We don't see it as that because it's like, oh, well, it's just this is the way it is with mental health and anything emotional, right? Like, well, it's all in your head. Like, but like we don't understand how draining that is. Physically, we can understand that that stuff is draining. If you were literally gardening all day long and like your back is breaking and you need a break, like nobody's going to expect you to like go run a marathon right right then and there because they can see physically, oh, well, their body is tired. But like we don't conceptualize our thoughts and our emotions and like our inner world in that same way. And this is me asking you to start conceptualizing it that way. Start to see your inner world the same way you see your outer world when it comes to like energy exchanges. Because I think that's part of this education process is to understand where your limits and your boundaries are so that you can advocate for them. Right, right. I think that's where, I mean, that's the beginning of physical consent, right? You can sit there and be like, oh, yeah, I totally want to be intimate with them. But like, have you walked yourself through like what you really like, feel okay doing? Or like, are you just like, I'm gonna go with whatever. And like, this is this is like important, like actually asking yourself, like, what am I where's my skill level right now? Like, am I able to kind of go this deep emotionally? Am I able to kind of process this? where is my limit? Ask those questions. Like where, what happens in my body when I reach my limit emotionally, right? Like, do I feel like I'm shutting down? Do I feel like I'm just talking for the sake of talking? Do I feel like I'm just giving them up or giving them a reason because they asked for a reason? Like, do do you see what I'm saying? So like, what are your tells? That's actually like, because one of the reasons why we want to do this episode is we want to leave you with some skills, people. Like we want you to hear some of these skills as like aspects to practice, which would be like attunement with the self. Asking yourself when you're in an emotional conversation, what are the tells that you possibly are saying? Hey, I'm not able to continue right now. Like it's too much. Or like what CA was saying, the emotional level has gotten so high that you're just like, I'm exhausted, right? And so mm-hmm. what does that look like in your experience. Okay. Cause we can, I can, and we can throw out some examples. Obviously it's going to be different for every person, but Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, even just off the top of my head, it would possibly be like, you know, kind of like what I just outlined where you're just, you're kind of just like phoning it in. Maybe Mm -hmm. there's physical tells, maybe Mm -hmm. you are, you know, like maybe your body is feeling like really heavy you know, I, I don't know if you feel like there's any other like overt stuff you can give examples on CA, but like, yeah, I mean, like, I'll just from my experience, and I know that these are also common in people who are internal processors and, you know, neurodivergent in certain aspects. Um, I just, just when I'm in the middle of a conversation, and it has hit my limit, I basically right. lose words, I, I'll just be I'll just like actually, right no longer have an ability to access my own vocabulary in the same way that I was at the beginning of the conversation. That's a huge one for me. As soon as I start to like actually lose words, that's when I know like I I really, I need a break. Um, Sometimes I also experience it in a physical way where like Mm. I 
the way I describe it is um, it feels like scratching against my skull from inside my brain, which I know that's like a weird description, but that's very specifically, that's how I describe it. When my brain has like hit its limit to process data, that's the sensation that I get. It's like this weird, like scraping, scratching feeling where I'm just like, it's almost like my brain is scraping the bottom of the barrel. Like we're all out of we're done. Like there's nothing else here to get the barrel is empty. Um, that's kind of what that feels like. Um, and then it could also, it can feel very similar to physical exhaustion. You might mm-hmm. just genuinely be like super tired and just like feeling your body is super drained. And like, you just genuinely like you're slumping and you're tired and like, you just need a break, you know? Mm, right. I mean, this is kind of, we're outlining, like, if you're in the middle of a conversation and you're realizing that it's shifting into a situation where you need to end, that's the skills that we're talking about. But also, like, you identifying um, tools, ahead. I think we, we mm-hmm. do want to touch on, you know, in the last part of this, tools of when your emotional consent is completely bypassed and you're trying to start. learning these skills okay so like I mean we kind of gave it like a not like an assumption that they honored it but like if you are in the middle of a conversation you're Mm -hmm. willing to have it right Mm -hmm. obviously there's a skill set of recognition attunement paying attention when do I need to redirect when do I need to end this okay Mm -hmm. cool but then we have like initial stages of emotional consent where if no one's actually honoring it and CA and I kind of came up with an example of like We've all been there, like whether it's church or school, uh, it happens a lot in education settings where people will be like, all right, everybody, like we all need to get to know each other. And like, here we go, group share. And like Mm -hmm. all of a sudden the group share turns into this like very emotional, everyone taking 10 minutes to introduce their problems and stuff. And and this is why we wanted to talk to to this because it's like, your emotional consent here is really important and you have to be aware that by someone requesting you to share, we have to be aware of like, how would we strategize around that? Okay. Mm -hmm. So my hope is that they'd at least give you the option to skip. Some people don't do that. Okay. And like, I sit there and I go, I feel like, how are we here? But yes, some people will be like, oh no, we're not going to skip. You can at least say something. Right. Mm -hmm. And you're like, okay. So But it is an actual skill set for you to say, well, okay, so if I do need to say something, what would be honoring, what level of disclosure is honoring me right now? Mm -hmm. Okay. So past versions of you might've been like, they opened up for 10 minutes. I have to, right? Mm -hmm. That's the boundary that we're working on. We're working on like being aware, like maybe that didn't feel good. Maybe you felt worse after sharing. Maybe you felt like this was encouraging your trauma dumping or whatever. Mm -hmm. So now you're practicing it. So you hear someone do like a 10 minute session of like deep dive and then it comes to be your turn. And the skill here would be like attunement of what is fair to you Mm -hmm. and possibly using your own discretion Mm-hmm. to to just respect in a limited way right. the disclosure that you're sharing. So you would say something, instead of being like, 
yeah, I'm going to outline every single issue that led me to this moment. You might be like, hey, I'm Jamie. And, you know, this is, you know, I really enjoy crocheting. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my family's really into sports. And, you know, we really like a good, you know, barbecue. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, sure, that person in front of you spent 10 minutes going into every single detail of your life or their life, I'm sorry. And you being very surface level isn't indicative of you being like shallow Mm -hmm. it's genuinely respecting your own experience in that moment so that's a skill set obviously I kind of skipped over the initial skill set if you get really uncomfortable the autonomy of like even if you're in an educational setting I have to go to the bathroom Mm -hmm. you don't have to make a thing of it you don't even have to be like excuse me I'm ending I'm leaving right like that sometimes doesn't feel okay to you either. Like if you're like, oh my God, I'm going to get up and like, you know, leave. Mm-hmm. Right. But if you genuinely are like, I need to excuse myself for like five minutes or something and go to the bathroom, you know, get a drink of water, splash your face, like take a breath, mm-hmm. collect yourself, collect your thoughts, and then go back into that situation with a better sense of how you want to address mm-hmm. that request. Okay. All of what I just outlined that takes forethought. Like that stuff, sometimes people can do it intuitively, but sometimes, especially my trauma brain people, they don't feel as though they have autonomy. Exactly. I mean, remember the trauma brain. The trauma brain says, you didn't get to choose that that trauma happened to you. So these are other things you're not going to be able to choose. So your brain doesn't immediately default to autonomy. Exactly. It'll be like, well, they're expecting me to do this. So I have to do it. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Versus a, a unlearning, unlike, you know, like just navigating in a new way. Right. We're trying to heal mm-hmm. these old wounds. Mm-hmm. It does give you that time. And it says, wait, what level do I want to disclose? Where do I want to go with this? Okay. Because me and CA, we're not sitting here and trying to ignore that we get into situations constantly. I was just using the example to see. I was like, sometimes I'm on TikTok and I'm like, oh my God, like I am feeling something that I did not want to feel, right? But it's not that we're trying to sit here and be like, oh, you're never going to be able to expose yourself to hardships or you can't ever listen to somebody else's trauma and like, you know, expect everyone to kind of give you trigger warnings or everyone to give you exactly. emotional consent. Obviously, I would love a world where we felt it was like, it was almost like a default to Mm -hmm. honor emotional consent. But we don't honestly currently live in that world. So we do get exposed to uh, educational systems that will place us in like emotional vulnerabilities. We will get placed in like maybe religious or uh, sociological like community events that are like, hey, this is innocent, but everyone needs to sit around and like share all this stuff about themselves. Mm -hmm. And you might not be in a place where that makes sense for you, right? So we're kind of circling around, ideally, we would have intimate relationships that can explore emotional consent with us, Yes. okay? Mm -hmm. That is my hope. And it's not a pipe dream. It's absolutely possible. This is why we, we, we aim to create like psychologically safe places is when you have someone that you can actively practice emotional consent with Mm -hmm. you get stronger yep you get stronger when you get requested other 
aspects of your life, other externals, mm-hmm. when they request emotional, you know, demand or when they have requests of you, you get stronger and more convicted mm-hmm. when you practice those skills in a safe relationship. Absolutely. Truly. Absolutely. I think um, <clears throat> one of the other things that came to mind with the sort of like group share situation um, cause I, I was having a memory of like, I'm sure if there's any other like fellow theater kids out there in, <laughs> or like band, like I'm thinking like band camp, theater camp, like, like all these like things where you like go on this like experience and there's this like facilitated, like we're all going to bond with each other by sharing the deepest, darkest parts of ourselves. And so even as you were talking, Jamie, about like in a, in a more kind of like maybe like one step removed, like an educational, like English class and like your English teacher is like, let's all share, you know, like there might be some people in that situation that go super deep, but that seems to be a situation where it might be a little bit more acceptable for you to stay in the shallow waters and just share like, Oh, this is some things about me. But when the expectation is to go deep and be like, no, we want to hear your wounds. Like you have to open up. Um, What's the, how, what are the skills, the advocacy skills in that situation? Cause there's two different things going on. One is that you're being expected to share emotions that you might not be ready to. And two is you're being expected to receive emotions that you might not be ready to right? Like everyone else's stories. Like now all of a sudden you're going to have to sit here and listen to everybody talk about like, horrible things that they're going through or have gone through. And that can be a lot, right, to sit with. So two different things to have to navigate and advocate. (laughs) Um, And so if the situation is feeling like you don't have the option to go to the bathroom or you don't have the option to just stay in the shallow waters, you can, you can, there's a couple different ways to navigate from there skill-wise you can, if you're feeling spicy and strong, you can literally just call the whole thing out and say, I don't think that this situation is okay. And I don't think it should be expected for all of us to have to go. sit here and share our deepest, darkest secrets. And I think we should have an option to to pass if if we want to, right? Maybe that gets you kicked out of the club. Maybe that makes you the social pariah. Like, so you would have to have very high skill level to be able to pull that one off. And you're probably not listening to this podcast if you already know how to do that. Um, Another option that I was thinking of is I think about myself in these situations. Um, What you would want to do maybe is stay in the zone of uh, emotional experiences that you've had that feel very resolved or that you are like in an active management stage of. Mm. And I want you to think of this in terms of like when you're on a job interview and they ask you to share like a weakness or something, you're not really supposed to tell them like something horrible that you struggle with on a daily basis that you have, you're drowning in, right? Like what you typically do is you kind of talk about either a weakness you've overcome Or a weakness that like, oh, sometimes I do this, um, but in that situation, I try to blah, blah, right? Like you have an active strategy that's in play for it. 
think of it in those terms when it comes to like emotional sharing where you feel like it's kind of being expected. And I genuinely think that that might actually in a way apply in some cases with those kind of like ambush scenarios from like your parents or other people to where like they're expecting you to share something and, you know, maybe just, okay, sure, here, blah, blah, like share something that's like satisfactorily gonna like fit their criteria while keeping you emotionally safe. Now, this isn't ideal. Mm. This isn't ideal because like your ideal is that your emotional consent would be 100% honored and you would never have to break any part of it whatsoever. But I really wanted to speak to like real world situations that people Mm. get in where the feeling of entrapment is so real that that they still like those folks still need some sort of a skill to keep them. It's like almost like harm reduction, right? Like here's like a way to like at least have some level of autonomy over this situation that a huge, like a lot of your autonomy isn't being honored. So here's at least like a small Mm. skill that you can sort of employ. That was one of the things. And then the other thing was kind of like what to do with that receiving of a lot of emotional information that you feel you weren't necessarily wanting to receive. And this goes along with seeing a TikTok that was like extremely triggering or hearing a news story or whatever. It's kind of all the same skill set, right? Like what we're talking about is how do we create emotional boundaries around our own selves so we're not internalizing some of the emotional information that's coming in around us? All right. So when you think about your exposure to other people's emotional possible trauma processing, right? This is this is tricky. Okay. This is tricky. Obviously, the more you're attuned to the things that really do trigger you, the more you're better equipped. Like I think of my son, he gets migraines. And like one of the things that like doctors, you know, shout out and strength and love to anyone who has migraines because it's a nightmare. But um, that's what the doctors say. They're like, the best way for us to get ahead of this is to just understand what triggers you. And if you do not know, it's an entire crapshoot. You basically are just like assaulted with a million different things. And you're just sitting there floundering. Like, I don't even know where it stemmed from. I don't know why I'm struggling. I don't know where this is coming from. Right. And it's like, especially in a group share, you could be like listening to like 10 different people. And you're like, I don't know why I'm so dysregulated right now, but like something that somebody said really messed with me. And so me and CA kind of walked through like when we are dealing with the external and we didn't get emotional consent respected. What we're looking at is, okay, obviously we said walk away. Possibly not always a, a um, strategy you can use. It's, it's not always available, right? Our job is not to just make you think everything's roses and daisies. It is not always available. And that's what sucks is it is not always available, right? And so what I would speak to, especially the folks that are, you know, are tried and true listeners that are really trying to understand like deeper awareness of themselves. I would, what I would suggest if we were talking about, you got exposed to something that was like questionable. You don't know the source of the trigger. You don't know where this is coming from, right? Get really familiar with the thematic element of the trigger. 
Okay. So I'm going to speak to some of my own wound here because absolutely like Mm -hmm. I'm in recovery from OCD. My brain loves to ruminate, loves to thought cycle, loves to kind of, you know, loop. Okay. And that's like about one of the ways my brain has formed around stressors. Okay. So when I would get triggered in past versions of me, when I would get triggered, my brain would literally like cycle and maybe not even relive the story. Many of the times if I walk back, I think it's usually, it was like usually safety was one of the things that would like really, really set me off. Um, because safety means that I don't have control and that anything could happen to me and then anything could happen to the ones I loved and that anything is possible. Anything is possible, right? And it's very hard to actually counter from the external. Like if I talk to CA or if I talk to my partner, you would be like, Jamie, like, I get it. Like you heard about this kid dying, but like you didn't deal. And I'm like, no, like kids do die. Right. And you're like, okay, but when, and I'm like, no, people in my family have died. Like Mm -hmm. kids in my family have died. Right. And you're like, oh my God. And when you talk to someone who's actually dealt with the traumas, that is so hard to counter because your brain will cycle, your brain will cycle and say, Hey, there is proof that your life could actually, Mm -hmm you know, spiral into this. So when I get exposed to something like a story about a kid dying or a story about a parent getting lost or something that would set my trigger off, I would find myself like almost mentally debilitated for like five to eight hours. And I'm being genuine. Like this is a very real experience in my brain. Like years ago, past version of me would experience. And it's almost as though what skill set had to develop for me to not spiral? Well, sure. If I knew that safety was a trigger, maybe I wouldn't watch a movie anymore where a kid was like, you know, all of a sudden passed away or something. Like, well, maybe I wouldn't do that. Maybe I wouldn't expose myself. And what we were talking about before, we live in the world, guys. We don't always get information presented ahead of us before we get exposed to the story. Okay. So like, I don't always Mm -hmm. get to choose whether or not I'm going to get exposed to a trigger. Okay. So let's say I did get exposed to the trigger and this is happening. The skill set becomes understanding the theme does help speak to the deep wound that we would need to address. Okay. So if I really have a lot of themes from the triggers the trigger of the trigger themes are safety or loss or immediate death right something like that Mm -hmm. what i need to sit with is in process and this is deep trauma work guys so like obviously we want assistance and you know help help with this stuff but like Mm -hmm. part of the skill set is to sit with the theme And to bring that theme to professionals, bring that theme to people who've lived that experience that are safe, bring that theme and start working on that, right? Because what I used to do, and this is me speaking from, you know, I absolutely used to just make it about that story. I'd be like, I'd be talking to my partner. I'd be talking to CA, like CA can attest to this because there's been times where I would go to her and I'd be like panicking and I'd be like, oh my God, did you see that story about that kid? And like, and you're like, yeah, it's really sad. And I was like, no, I'm unwell. Like, I really like, I don't think I can sleep tonight. I'm like disturbed by that story, you know? And that was a very real experience to me, but I would make it about the story. I would make it about the kid that was abruptly taken from this world, right? I would make it about that. 
But what was really underneath that was this, like, visceral fear that the world has some kind of chaotic element to it that sometimes bad things happen. And I wasn't okay with that. I couldn't, I couldn't make peace with like the world possibly could go awry at any time. And I would get sent spiraling. And so people might be like, oh my God, Jamie, like, how did you ever get through that? And it's like, honestly, this stuff takes years. This stuff takes years to allow to be processed. Okay. So this is where I'm talking about the skill set. This is pretty high, but like high level. But if you think about the skill set here, removing of yourself of the trigger, not watching the movies, not exposing yourself to like media, uh, like obviously you don't want to live in a, you know, like a closet or something, but like you do want to be aware of like certain aspects of your brain could actually spiral into something when you get exposed to it. So be mindful of those things. If that isn't something that you're able to control, what we would want to do is we would want to actually speak to not the surface level problem, but the deep wound that it hits. Right. Okay. Exactly. Because no amount of, no amount of ruminating on the individual like presenting topic is going to alleviate exactly what's really happening exactly so, so you that's go to why the you theme, do have to go, go deeper. deeper obviously that is part of like a healing process though so like that skill set is i mean all of this is but that skill set particularly that's a very like trauma involved skill set that you would want some assistance with. So I'm not trying to say like, yeah, that's just like immediately like gonna get better. But Mm -hmm. it's, it's important. And I think we're going to end around this topic. It's important to at least honor that it's happening. Because if you gaslight yourself and say, you know what, it's fine. It's just a kid. And I'm, I'm okay. Like, it's not, it's not a big deal. And like, I don't know why I'm spiraling. And you know what, it was just like, I, I, I'm just Mm -hmm. overthinking it. And like, I, I'm just like, I'm just, I'm just dramatic. And like, see, I'm just, I'm just broken. Like, this is just like how I am. Right. Okay. Did you hear Mm -hmm. everything that just came out of my mouth? First of all, none of that was like kind. None of that. If I was talking about my best friend right there, she's broken. She's, she's just, she's just messed up. Like she's just like, everything's screwed up and she's just like, she's just, her mind sucks. Right. Like how it's not kind and it's not honest <laughs> and it's not helpful. Yeah. And I think so to, to kind of speak to the in-between. So we have this first level where you just are able to avoid the triggers to the best of your ability. We have this high level that mm-hmm. is truly like digging deep into the source of these wounds and healing them. And then there's kind of going to be this sort of transitionary, like in between stage where you are going to be exposed to things because you simply, the, the avoiding the trigger wasn't an option, but you haven't fully healed the wound yet. So you're not all the way there yet. So in this sort of transitionary stage, what we're talking about here is like not gaslighting yourself right? To actually allow yourself to be in the in-between space and say, whoa, oh my gosh, I just got triggered in that same way that I do sometimes. I still don't understand like what this is about or why this is happening to me, but man, this is real. Like, gosh, this feeling is so real and it's so heavy and so uncomfortable. 
man, I do not like feeling like this, right? Even that is creating in a sense, it's almost like, it's almost like the building blocks to a boundary because it's like, you're at least creating space between yourself and the experience, right? You're, you're able to like sort of name it and go, whoa, there's that feeling again. There's that anxious feeling again. There's that trapped feeling again. And all of a sudden you're now observing the feeling instead of experiencing it viscerally and being like drowned in it. So like that's almost the in-between phase is to at least just start kind of like putting a little bit of space between you and that like emotional experience that you're having. So you don't drown in it, but you're also not pretending it doesn't exist. Right. Right. It's a perfect, it's a perfect example of like level one would be maybe remove because you don't have the skills yet. Remove yourself because you don't have the skills. Level two is observing, observing the observant role. Like, I don't know if we've gone into that, but like the observant role is so powerful, so powerful to observe the situation in a, in a curious way. You're just curious about wait, mm-hmm. hold on. I can feel the spiraling. What's happening? Where is this coming from? Whatever. Okay. And then the deepest level, mm-hmm. like you just said, that's the highest level that you're going to have to call yourself to, which is where a lot of the healing comes from. But the initial stages of healing, right, yeah. are going to be noticing when you have to remove yourself. Maybe you don't have the skill yet, but noticing when you have to remove yourself and then becoming curious about where this is coming from. And I, I think this is important. I don't want to like end with like, you know, messing people or like messing with people. But like, this is something that it's a hard thing to digest, but we all need to hear it. When we get exposed to something that emotionally sets us off, okay, we initially and validly so, might get angry and then only make it about, you gotta gotta stay with me here because this is hard, and only make it about the person who exposed us to that trigger. And this is the epitome of a both and, guys, Mm -hmm. because yes, you don't deserve to be put into that position. You don't. You don't deserve to get set off and spiraled and debilitated for the next five to eight hours. You don't. I don't want that on anyone, okay? And I absolutely believe that emotional consent is a very valid way to help protect some of this. And understanding that the way our brain receives some of that information, it doesn't end with just identifying that someone someone exposed us to that. It doesn't end there. Sure, we might want to be like, no, that's the only reason. That's the see, I wouldn't have had to feel that way if you didn't bring up kids and dying, right? But what we're missing in that formula Mm -hmm. is that CA was introduced to that same story that same day on her computer, and that didn't send her spiraling. She was okay that day. She didn't have a five to eight hour spiral sesh. She didn't have a debilitating like breakdown, okay? I did, but I did that because I carried a trauma-informed thought process into that exposure. So why I'm saying I'm walking lightly because the last thing I wanna do is be like, this is your fault, it's not. It is 
our responsibility though to be aware of how our brain processes information. It's our responsibility. That is a hard thing to digest because when we're in the initial stages of healing, we want it to just be the external. We want to be like, well, if my mom just didn't do that, then I would be fine. And I'd say, oh, the hard ass on me, like literally, like this is how I am with my therapy and coaching clients. Sometimes I'm like, I need to say something and it's probably not something you want to hear. It's probably not just your mom. At this point, if we are 30 years, if you're a 30-year-old client with yeah. me, if you're 30 years into this and that is like, right. maybe that's the apex of the trauma. Maybe that's like setting it off to the highest degree. But if I detangle that and you walk me through where that theme comes from, I bet I could show you like five different relationships that that shows up in. But that's a hard thing to understand, right? Because you want it to be, it's just about my mom, right? But keep in mind, that's hard because it could have actually, a, it could very well may have been developed from your mom. It could have been developed from that relationship. So exactly. it is very easy to be blindsided and be like, no, 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 Jamie, you don't understand. She's the only one that can get me that that dysregulated. And I'm like, it sounds like she's the like epitome of where this stems from. And thematically, what is she hitting mm -hmm. on? And where do these wounds show up? Right? Because that's, mm -hmm. that's hard. Because if you identify, wait, it came from my mom, but it literally generalized. Keep in mind, this might not happen to everybody, but if it has happened to you, all right, mm -hmm. if it has generalized yeah. and you find yourself getting wound up in those dynamics and you say, you know what, if my mom just asked for emotional consent, this wouldn't be a problem. And I'd say, wait, walk me through other times that you mm -hmm. felt similarly, maybe not as extreme as with your mom, but other times where you felt this way, right? Sure, we can avoid some of this by emotional consent and being requested of the consent. And the way we kind of spiral into this, we have to process. That's the other end of it. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah, it's deeply nuanced, you guys. And that's why this is one of our longer episodes, because there's so many facets to this. And genuinely like there are yeah. probably more that we could go into but for the sake of not giving you a 24 ounce steak to chew all at once we're just gonna we're gonna give you these bites that we've given you to digest and we thank you so much for being here and listening in on this stuff thank you for listening Thank you so much, y'all, for tuning in. If anything we said resonated, please subscribe and leave a review anywhere you listen to podcasts. This absolutely helps us grow, and we really do value your voice on this podcast. So if you have anything you'd like to contribute, any tips, any topics, or if you just want to say hi, you can email us at unlearned at recollectedself.com. 
You can find us on Instagram at the unlearned podcast or individual Instagrams at recollect itself and CAs is at embracing divergence. You can also find us over on TikTok under those handles. If you want to join our Patreon for $5 a month, you can be our coffee fiend club member. And that's going to give you access to our podcast within a podcast, which is called unhinged. This is basically where we let loose completely unedited. We are literally just shooting the breeze, having fun. You can see our full personalities and it is a blast. Honestly, it's pretty fun. So if you want to join us, you can find that at patreon.com slash unlearned. And that's it. The last thing I want to tell you is I want you to be brave enough to fight for the person you want to become. And this is how we do the work.